section for yes good morning is a good thing you can say it loudly come on young people good morning boker um, tov in hebrew you want to learn some hebrew it's boker tov can you say that isn't that sound doesn't sound good yeah well arise arise and let's uh, let's read a section from um, from the book of uh, Acts, chapter 9, Acts chapter 9. And, and would you, as you reflect on this, uh, would you think about perhaps a word that you might want to um, remember as we read this passage and think about this uh, news broadcast here? So let me try to do two things at the same time. Is this good? Are you able to see all this? Yeah? doesn't give you a crick in your neck or something. Okay. Let's read this together. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And let me pray before we read this. Oh Lord, we have just read, we just heard this, this news bulletin um, based on this report that's just come out um, of the International uh, Commission on Religious Freedom. Lord, as we Think about all that's going on in, in uh, Pakistan, in uh, Iraq, in Afghanistan, uh, in India, in North Korea. Um, Lord, all over the world, your people are suffering. Your people are going through so much. And so, Lord, as we reflect on your word, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and our minds to know how may we stand behind your people, how may we pray for your people, how may we pray so that the peace of God would reign upon earth. O Prince of Peace, descend and do your work. In the name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus our Lord, we reflect on this word. Amen. Amen. Together. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that he found any who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. 
For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on the straight seat and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Amen, amen. You may be seated. So what, what, what comes to your mind? What is, what's a word? You know, as you think about the report that we, we heard, um, um, a very brief report in, in the text of, of the Bible that we just read, and all the young people are here, and, you know, so one of the advantages of sitting right up front is you get asked the questions. So what comes to your mind? Persecution. Persecution. Yes, yes, persecution. Horrible, right? Persecution. Persecution. Um, what else? Threats. Horrible threats. Threats. Oh, men and women go to jail, jail. Men and women go to jail. Horrible. Fear, yes, yes, fear. Fear, foreboding fear, horrible fear. What else? Young people, young people. Second Amendment, yes, yes, Second Amendment, Second Amendment. And for the sake of those people that are sitting behind you, would you tell us what's the Second Amendment? <laughs> those people don't know. <laughs> Sorry? Oh, freedom of religion, Second Amendment. Okay, Second Amendment, freedom of amendment. Freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of belief, which is, of course, an international thing. It's an international United Nations thing that people are supposed to be able to believe what they believe. Freedom. Anyone else? 
Oh, negative to positive. Yes, yes, yes. Just a comment, but I see an unlikely candidate for God's mission. Unlikely candidate is, is a person of Paul. Oh, unlikely candidate. So, so all this are there, and then unlikely, unlikely person. Unlikely. Unlikely what? Unlikely candidate. Oh, unlikely candidate for to bring about a change to all this. Candidate. To bring a change to all this persecution and threat and jail and fear and freedom of religion. Unlikely candidate. Why was he unlikely? Do you know? You know, so his name was, his name was what? It was Saul, Saul, and then what happened? And then... Oh, his name was changed to Paul. Usually people say that. Those people at the back especially, they would say that. But, but that's not true. Do you know that? His name was not changed to Paul. That is what people have said a lot of times. I've heard that in sermons that, you know, there is a Saul and Saul was bad. And look what happened. His name was changed to Paul. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. So why do we say that? I have no idea. You know, there are a lot of people that just pass on what is being learned to you. Just pass it on instead of reading the Bible. Um, it is, it's a very interesting dilemma there because the same person at whose hands there is persecution, there's horrible, horrible th threats. That's what you find in the original Greek text there. There's threats of jailing and putting them in chains and, and taking them, dragging them behind horses and horrible stuff. There's fear. I mean, Ananias was so full of fear. And, and of course, when you see people like that, you are scared. So what is happening here is the question. Who are people who do these kinds of things. And I think you're right. There, there, there are unlikely candidates. And usually threats and fear and, and jailing and, and, and all these things, they happen because people are struggling within themselves. They don't know who they are. Am I Saul? Yes, my parents gave me the name Saul, and the word Saul has a meaning behind it, but it sounds so Jewish. And But my parents were, were, were removed from my place and taken to this place called Tarsus, where I, I look different. And look at the name my parents gave me. They gave me the name Paul, and I'm struggling with that name, my name Paul, and, and they want me to think like the Romans do, but my parents at home, they want me to think like how Jewish people think. They pray a lot. They do these five times a day prayer and all that, and then I go to school, and everyone teases me because of my name. And they want to call me Paulos. So, when I go to school, I am Paul. Paulos. Everyone in the shopping mall calls me Paulos. When I come back home, my mother in her nice 
Jewish accent called me Shaul, Shaul. I said, ah, don't call me Shaul. I go back to the street and everyone makes fun of me because you call me Shaul. And so there was a struggle within the, within the mind and the heart of this young lad. Does that sound familiar? Who am I? Who am I? That is the struggle that's going on. And so what I'd want us to reflect on is when we meet people, who are we meeting? Are we meeting Saul or are we meeting Paul? Who are we meeting? And that is where the answer lies to reaching out to people. Am I Saul? Am I Paul? Where it depends on where I am. I could become Saul. I could become Paul. This is an agonizing struggle. And many times, you would have done a lot of research work about, you know, why do militants, why does militancy happen? Who are these radical people? Who are these um, violently radical people? And what you'll find is, these are people who are struggling within themselves. There's a deep down struggle going on in their lives. And, and we need to encounter those struggles. Struggling persecutors are people that we encounter. So there is this person called Saul who was, was breathing threats and murderous threats against the disciples of the Lord. And he was going around. He was a young guy. He had lots of energy. And, and so he took that energy and he, and, he, and he boiled it over into going against these new group of people who themselves was, were struggling with their own identity. And so you find Saul going out. And what does he do? Look at verse 2. He asks the high priest for letters to the synagogue at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, women and men, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem, horribly bound to Jerusalem. I want to see if I can get to my text here and um, open up to the slides that you have probably have available to you. Struggling persecutors, persecution against the gospel and Jesus usually comes from people who are struggling within themselves. There's a sense of jihad. That's what the word struggling means. There's a sense of jihad that's going on, an angst that's going on in their lives. And and then what do they do is they, they use legislation. Usually it's legislating persecutors. It's not something that comes out of the ordinary, comes out of the blue, but it's people who use laws. And that's one of the things that we are finding in a lot of, lot of countries. Um, it, it's not people who are militant, who, is, who are coming up against God's people. It's people who are using regular laws and putting people behind bars. I was just on the phone with, with, with an amazing leader in Allahabad, and he said to me that he has come, just come back from the police station where people are bringing up all kinds of allegations 
against the people of God just because they're talking about Jesus. Who's this foreign God that you're bringing among us? Come to the jail. And you have to respond to allegations that we are bringing before you. And that's always been the case, isn't it? It's always been the case. Um, when you think about um, people that struggled during the early part of this century, um, people like Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was, was an amazing person. Bonhoeffer was a man that um, grew up in Germany. His, his sister got married to a Jewish person. He did amazing work. He studied hard and got his master's and his PhD. And after his PhD, he decided to come to the United States. And he goes where? He goes to New York and, and he starts worshiping among these amazing group of people. It's called the Abyssinia Baptist Church. And, and he saw freedom there. He saw them worshiping the Lord. But then he went to the streets of New York and he saw people doing horrible stuff to them. And he said, that's what we are doing in Germany also. That's what we're doing in Italy. That's what we're doing in Spain. And so he goes back and he fights against the laws. There were, there were German Christians who wanted to adopt laws called the Aryan laws in Germany. And he stood up against that. He said, no, don't bring this here because they wanted to say, oh, they, these people, if they become Christians, they become followers of Jesus, they should be separated. They shouldn't be baptized. Why? Because according to the Aryan laws, it was illegal for them to become Christians. And Bonhoeffer said, no, we are one in Jesus. Don't do this. So eventually, he fought against these people called the Nazis, and unfortunately he was killed. Unfortunately he was killed in 1945 in this concentration camp called Flossenburg. That's one of the things that we just saw in this report, isn't it? There are laws, laws that are being promulgated in, in India, in Pakistan, in Afghanistan, in Iraq, where it's illegal to be a Christian and to live like a Christian. You're not allowed to say anything about Jesus. So let me read a little bit about the little bit of this law here, a little bit of uh, this report here, uh, which you, you heard in the news report. These laws are a major obstacle to efforts pursuing peace and tolerance among those of different faith as extremist and majority religious groups use these laws as tools to intimidate and prevent religious minorities from exercising their right to freedom of religion and freedom of conscience. These laws are disproportionately affecting vulnerable and disfavored groups like the Dalit Hindus who are low caste, outcast people and foreign humanitarian and aid workers. And so you find this sense in which all over the world, things are happening that happened during the time of, of, of the book of Acts here. So let's go back to the book of Acts. There is people who are struggling within themselves. They are struggling persecutors. But they're also legislating persecutors who are using 
the, the legislation of those days, the laws of those days, to come up against Christians. But look what happens. Who do they go against? They go against the people of the way. So what's wrong with the people of the way? What is, what's the people of the way? What comes to your mind when I use the word the way? The way. Yes, because what did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But of course, people like Saul who are struggling within themselves to say, Oh, don't say you have the way. Because we have the way. People are People want to stick with what they believe in. People want to, want to have their way of life, the way in which they feel rather um, happy living. So anything that goes against that way of thinking is, goes against them. And so you have these people who may be called as traditionalizing people. They, they go against the gospel because they, want, they don't want you to say, there is someone who will show you the way to life. Someone who will show you the way to living the life of goodness. And so here's this person who goes. He goes against the people of the way. He captures men and women and children. And, and he, he, he sees no qualms about doing that. But then something happens as we go along. He's journeying along and he's approaching Damascus. He's going to this place where, you know, which is not under the jurisdiction of the temple, but he goes there with letters. And, and then suddenly there's a light from heaven which flashes about him. And he falls to the ground, it says, and hears a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You see, what's happening here is you have the sense in which Saul knows what he was doing. And what's the words of, of this Jesus that appears to him? First of all, he calls him what? He calls him Saul. Do you see that? He doesn't call him Paul. He calls him Saul. Saul, come on, come to terms with who you are. The word Saul means one who prays, one who asks God, one who comes before God and is a seeker of God. And so there's this voice that says, Saul, Saul, not why do you persecute the church? You see that? Why do you persecute me? And that's the beauty of Jesus, isn't it? Those people who are crying out in Afghanistan or in Iraq or in India or in Pakistan or, or in Hong Kong on the streets of Hong Kong now, those people who are crying out for, because this onslaught of evil and persecution against them, it seems to me that they're hearing the voice of Jesus saying, they're not persecuting you, they're persecuting me. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
And it seems like Saul is listening to this voice and he's saying, first of all, I'm Saul. You call me Saul? I'm Saul. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, in, in, in North Park, we've got all kinds of students that come from different parts of the world. One of the things I try to do is to try to learn up how their parents call them. Not the anglicized name, because that's easy. But how does your mama call you? How does your papa call you? How, how does your grandpa call you? Your more more, or whatever you want to say. How, how does your far more call you, or your, your mimi call you, or whatever. But it's a sense in which you are, that's who you are, and, and that's the voice that Saul hears. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? There's another thing that I want us to, that I want us to keep in, in mind here, and that is the word persecuting. The word persecuting can also mean pursuing. And this is one of the things that we need to keep in mind. When people persecute you, think about it. They're actually pursuing you. When people persecute you, think about it. They're actually wanting to have what you have. I have all kinds of students that come into my classes. They're those students, I, I have these things called PowerPoint notes on the, uh, on the screen that'll come on and, and they'll t start taking down notes and you know, they're seriously taking down notes and, and ask them questions and, and they'll say, what, what, I, what was the question? What was the question? No, I was busy taking down notes. Were you listening to what I was saying? No, I was busy taking down notes. And, there are those students who want to question you and, and who want to cross-question you and who want to push you. Those are the learners that you really want to have in classes. And unfortunately, there are too many of us Christians who are like the people who live this rather blasé and apathetic life because we don't want to pursue, we don't want to persecute. It is okay to question and cross-question and to go before the Lord and ask Him the toughest questions that we have in mind. Because if we don't ask tough questions, then we are just, you know, this rather blasé kinds of Christians and we have this mundane kind of a Christian life. But it's those people like Saul, who asks the tough questions and who do things like persecuting, who then become people that truly do amazing things for the Lord. But those of us who have this rather easy Christian life live a rather easy Christian life. And that's where we begin our Christian life. And that's where we end our Christian life. Saul, Saul, think about it. Why are you pursuing me? 
Yes, you're persecuting me, but I know that you're pursuing me. And I'm going to do something about it. So my prayer is that if we are leading a rather mundane Christian life and asking the wrong kinds of questions that we pursue Jesus. And yes, it's okay if you persecute Jesus and his followers because Jesus is going to get to you one day on the road to Damascus. That's okay. Notice Saul's response there. He looks up at this voice. He's blinded by now. And he says, Who are you, Lord? Did he notice that? Who are you, Lord? And the point here is that Saul's saying, I knew all along that you're the Lord who revealed himself to Moses and to Abraham and to Isaiah and to Jeremiah. You are that Lord. Do you see that struggle within him? All along he knew he was persecuting Christians, but all along he knew that he was actually pursuing and then persecuting the Lord. Who are you? Who are you, Lord? There's this very fascinating story that, that I want to turn to. It's a story about uh, a very prominent person who has impacted my life a lot, and his name is Sadhu Sundar Singh. Sadhu Sundar Singh lived uh, many, many years ago, and um, he was a Sikh. Have you ever seen a Sikh? A Sikh's a person who has this long hair, really long hair, and ties up the hair and kind of a bun up here and then puts a turban on it, right? And has got beard. They're not supposed to be letting any, any scissors come near their hair. Um, and so he was a Sikh. He was a young Sikh. And, 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 and there were friends of his who told him about Jesus and he bashed them. The moment they mentioned the name Jesus, he would go with his fists and he had this thing called a kara. It's a strong bracelet. He would put it upon his hand and he would bash them with this, this thing and gashes would be on their head. And he beat up a lot of very, very poor Christians. A lot of very, very poor um, missionaries who would talk about Jesus. And as he was going around, of course there was something that was pricking him deep within him. He was really, really troubled. And he couldn't handle himself. So he came to the point... And I'm going to pick up the story from his writing where he says, Though according to my own ideas at that time, I thought I had done a good deed in burning the gospel and beating up those Christians. Yet my unrest of heart increased over and over and over again. I became utterly miserable. Because it gave me some kind of satisfaction to go and do those violent things. But when I went back home, I felt awful. Because I had done those awful things. And so on the third day, he goes on to say, when I could bear it no longer, I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I prayed, God, 
If you're really there, reveal yourself to me. Oh God, if you're really there, reveal yourself to me. My intention was that if I got no satisfaction, he goes on to write, I would place my head upon the railway line when the five o'clock train passed by because I was done with myself and I wanted to kill myself. Do you see the angst? Do you see the tension? Do you know how old he was? He was 15 years old. He was 15 years old. And then he goes on to write, I thought I would get it in the next hour. I was praying and praying and praying and praying, but received no answer. And I prayed for half an hour longer, hoping to get peace. And then at 4.30, at 4.30 a.m., I saw something of which I had no idea previously. In the room where I was praying, I saw a great light. I thought the place was on fire. I looked around but could find nothing. The thought came to me that this might be an answer that God had sent me. Then I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I looked into the light and I saw the form of this person I had been persecuting. Jesus Christ. It had such an appearance of glory and love. If it had not been some Hindu incarnation, I would have prostrated myself before it. But it was the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who I had been insulting and persecuting and whose people I had been beating. I felt that a vision like this could not come out of my own imagination. I heard a voice saying in Hindustani, which was his language, how long will you persecute me? Think about it. He's never read the Bible in his whole life. How long will you persecute me, Sundar? I have come to save you. You are praying to know the right way. Why do you not take it? So I fell at his feet and, and got this wonderful peace which I could not get anywhere else. This was the joy I was wishing to get. This was the peace I was wishing to get. This was like being in heaven itself. When I got up, the vision had all disappeared, but although the vision disappeared, the peace and joy have remained with me ever since. So early in the morning at 5 a.m. he gets up, think about it, and goes to his father. So he says, I went off and told my father, I had become a Christian, I've become a Christian. Think about it. You wake up your father at 5 a.m. in the morning and say, I've become a Christian, I've become a Christian. And the father says, he told me, go lie down and go to sleep. You've just been beating those people. You just burnt up the Bible. What's wrong with you? I said, well, I have discovered Jesus. I just saw him. And I've determined to be his follower. Today, 
I am his disciple and I'm going to serve him. Do you know something? This is the story of Sadhu Sundar Singh. But I've heard this story over and over and over again. Maybe not here in Chicago, but I've heard it in Afghanistan. I've heard it in Pakistan. I've heard it in India, where the Lord is breaking through right in the midst of persecution because it's people who, who persecute, whom the Lord approaches and breaks through too. And, and he says to them, resurrection, arise, arise, and go into the city, and you will be told what you should do. There's this mission that comes from this change that goes on, that happened in the life of Sadhu Sundar Singh, as he went right through those places on the river Ganges and Yamuna, and, and he went into Punjab, where there's this amazing movement that's going on even today. He went to the Tibetans, he went to the Himalayas, and finally he died, we don't know where. Somewhere in the Himalayas. After that, he wasn't heard from, but as he as he talked about what he went through over and over again, there were thousands and thousands of people who came to know the Lord because of him. And that's what the Lord says to Saul here. Verse 6. Arise, enter the city, and you'll be told what to do. And so... These people who had been with him, of course, they were baffled and they were beside themselves. We don't know what's happening. And then there's another follower called Ananias to him. The Lord appeared and we read about that. And Ananias was scared. But the Lord says to him, verse 15, Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, the kings, the sons of Israel, and everybody. Because people will be baffled. What, what, you, you are a follower of Jesus? Why? Why? What's wrong with you? And so people want to listen to him. And then it goes on to say that the Lord says to Ananias, the disciple of Jesus, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That's one of the things that we've got to realize, right? When people like Saul come to know the Lord, God uses them. But they have a mission. And what's the mission? You're going to suffer for me, kiddo. I suffered. You are going to suffer also. And that's the word pathos. It comes from the paschal lamb that was slaughtered in, in Exodus chapter 12, where, where God comes to, uh, to, uh, to the people of God and he says, this is the way in which you will eat the Passover. You will, uh, you will eat it with your belt fastened and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you will eat it in haste. 
It is the Lord's Passover. It is the Lord's Passover. Go select lambs. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 21. For yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb because your life will be a life of suffering. That's not an easy message, but that is the message to all Christians. And that's why we celebrate and keep something called the Lord's Table, in which Jesus comes before his disciples and he says to them in Luke chapter 22, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Because you also will suffer. Of course, they didn't understand. And so when Jesus was, was killed and he rises from the dead and, and all the disciples were together and two of them are walking on this road called the road to Emmaus, he comes to them. And he says to them, Luke chapter 24 and verse 26, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and the third day rise from the dead. And so he says to Paul here, That I will show you things that you will suffer, that you must suffer. And so as we partake of this, it's not just a ritual that we keep. Some churches do it every day. Some churches do this once a week. Some churches do this once a month. Some churches do this once a year. And it seems like it's just a ritual, isn't it? Oh, because we are Christians, we do this. But do you know what does the text of the Bible say? When we partake of this, the body of Jesus, who said, who broke the bread, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam hamotzi lachem min hashamayim. And then he took the third cup, the cup that represented the blood of the lamb, the Passover lamb. And he said, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam this is my blood which is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me so that when we partake of this bread and this cup, we say, Lord, I want to be a part of your body. I'm ready to suffer for you. That is what we say 
when we partake of this. This is not just a ritual. This is coming before Jesus and saying, Jesus, you died for my sins. You suffered. As I partake of this, I want to say to you, I am ready also to suffer. Are you willing to say that? Would you spend a few moments in prayer and then I'm going to request the servers to come forward. As they come forward, would you just spend some time in prayer and say, Lord, I want to pray for souls who have been persecuting me. I want to pray for souls who are persecuting the church. Would you pray that they would have this experience where the light would come and where they'll hear the voice of Jesus saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You want them to find Jesus. Would you pray for them? maybe your friends in school it may be your friends at work it may be anybody but those souls that are struggling need peace they need Jesus would you pray for them pray for yourself and ask yourself the question am I ready to suffer for Jesus I've had enough of this mundane life as a Christian this rara life as a Christian I want to be like Saul suffer for Jesus that the gospel would reach out to many many more persecutors and souls who need this Jesus are you willing to do that are you willing to be that these prayers and as we partake of this powerful experience of partaking of your body that was persecuted that was beaten that died on the cross for our sins and as we partake of this your blood which was shed for our sins we say to you oh Jesus we want to be a part of your body
and to suffer for you that the peace of God would come to many, many, many around us. So bless us as we partake of this, your body, and your blood.